and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by entrepreneur, global fashion icon, and founder of Elle Effect, Elle Ferguson. Elle Ferguson is quite literally the original Aussie blogger. Her look has become something of a signature, long, tonged blonde hair, denim cutoffs and perpetually bronzed limbs. Having studied visual merchandising, interior design and architecture, Elle spent upwards of six years as National Women's Wear Visual Merchandising Manager for General Pants, during which time she became aware of that very signature, then dubbed the wow factor, now known as the Elle effect. Elle is the master of the personal brand. From humble beginnings, taking outfit photos in front of a roller door, it didn't take long for Elle's signature style to reach international recognition, capturing the attention of the Kardashians along the way. It was then that Elle started thinking about turning that personal brand into a more tactile one. And so Elle Effect was born, a tanning mousse designed to replicate the golden glow that made up a third of that now iconic combo. Blonde hair, denim cutoffs and tanned skin. I caught up with Elle in Sydney's Double Bay to talk about influencers moving into product development, what led Elle to leave long-running blog They All Hate Us to focus on a solo venture, the time she thought she was being catfished by Jen Atkins, and why her first interview with General Pants took place through a shop window. So much that I want to cover with you, but let's start at the very beginning what was your first real memory of beauty um it was funny because I listened to your podcast yesterday with Mariana and Lauren they're so amazing love them love and I heard you ask them that question Mm -hmm. and I thought to myself oh my goodness what was my first memory of beauty and I think I have two extremes because my mum was a beauty queen for Australia wow yeah so she was Miss Charity in oh goodness I'm not going to say the year because I don't want to age for the age (laughs) but so she was in the Miss Australia quest and so I grew up with her sashes and her tiaras in the house so that were in a you know a nice roller but my mum was the complete opposite and was just when I say natural beauty that's what she was so Mm -hmm. I have this image of beauty as in going down to the beach and scrubbing our skin with the sand Mm -hmm. for a scrub and then drinking loads and loads of water eating organic and then if we ever were allowed to wear makeup it was some sort of hippie inspired makeup and we would blonde our hair with some sort of it was like was like henna but not I was trying to think of the word yesterday because we used to buy it from the body shop and I used to paint it on my mother's head but it was all organic so there were two extremes do you know what I mean yeah. there was this fashion um vogue beauty life but then on the other hand there was this extremely natural um beauty so they're my first memories I think that's quite interesting as well having the two extremes yes. because when you're that young that probably helps to you know for you to differentiate between the two yeah so yeah you know that it's not all pageant all the no, time no but it was fun it was def- there were a lot of dress-ups at out and we did dance and performed so there was a lot Amazing. of there was a lot of fun <laughs> so you obviously own a beauty brand now which we'll yes. get to but for many years fashion was really you know at the core of it what you're doing is. and it still is yeah but before that you studied interior design so yes. what did you think you were going to be when you grew up 
Well, I think for me, it was always going to be something creative um, mm-hmm. because our house was so creative. I mean, right. my sister's a jewelry designer now. My mom had a fashion label. So when I was young, I think what was so amazing was is that I could be anything. And I don't yeah. think many children grow up that way. But no. I was told that I could be anything in the entire world, but I needed to study. Mm-hmm. So straight out of school, I... Um, I actually modeled quite a lot in high school and then I got offered a really good contract and my mom kind of said to me, you know what, your looks aren't going to last forever, but your brain will. So Mm -hmm. I went straight off into uh, actual visual merchandising. I did 12 months straight out of school. Mm -hmm. And then from visual merchandising, I realized I loved hand drafting and I loved just plans and I loved Mm -hmm. like making... I just loved hand drafting. And, And then one of my lecturers said to me, you should try to get into interior design and architecture and Mm -hmm. then I did the entry exam and submitted a portfolio and I got in and I was like oh my god this is amazing Mm -hmm. but then into my second year I realized that I couldn't color in between the lines I was this crazy eccentric (laughs) creative that didn't want to realize that I had to use a ruler to measure everything and do everything Mm -hmm. by scale I was like why can't I have that like (laughs) this so when I graduated I did my end of year um exhibition and I was lucky enough to get most promising student out of the year I got a really big award it was very bizarre yeah because I thought they hated me because (laughs) I rocked up with like acrylic nails and Ugg boots so I thought I was like the antichrist to the interior design world but on my end of year exhibition there was a lady that walked through the exhibition that worked for one teaspoon Mm -hmm. and she approached me and said hey there's a job going as a national visual merchandiser and I was like you won't believe this I actually have a visual merchandising degree and I, right. I and I need to get out of interior design because I need to be back in fashion because that's what keeps me alive mm-hmm. and she was like come do the interview and then so straight out of interior design I fell back into fashion and yeah. I was working at One Teaspoon as their national VM. How so long were you there for? I was there for just over a year mm-hmm. um, and that saw when I worked with One Teaspoon that saw us launch into David Jones nationally right. so it was when they started doing those kind of concepts we set up amazing stores in Western Australia in Melbourne and mm-hmm. in Sydney and then luckily enough when I was at general oh, sorry when I was at one teaspoon Jamie Blakey who worked for one teaspoon I think yeah. she saw my potential I really do and she there was a job going at general pants who general pants stocked one teaspoon yes and now this was like 12 years ago when general pants who they still are the cool kids on the block yeah but I mean I'm sure you remember I'm literally in my head that was like yeah. every birthday and Christmas yes. I'm like I just want a general pants something voucher. anything yes. I just want to be in the store the yep. vibes happening so at that time Jamie kind of put me forward for a visual merchandising job at general pants the head of women's wear mm-hmm. and I was like I can't do that job these people are too cool for me I'm just <laughs> a girl from the coast I can't do this no 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 so I actually didn't take the interview for like three months really and then the head of visual merchandising and creative direction actually tracked me down oh when gosh. I was installing a window in one teaspoon Bondo Beach and we literally did the interview like in the street in Gould Street in oh, Bondo I Beach love that. and then I had my yeah and he was like I had to come to you and he's like you're the only woman that's ever made like me come work for <laughs> I was like okay but yes so I then um left one teaspoon mm-hmm. and went to general pants and Amazing. yeah so you were there for if my research serves me correct six years yes were there any lessons that you've learned during that time that you find you're still applying today yes don't don't stop <laughs> um no general pants you know what i hold general pants to so much of 
um, who I am today Mm -hmm. and the work ethics that I use every day. General Pants really molded me as the the person I am today. Mm -hmm. Like just, you know, I I don't even know how to put into words what I I still feel like I'm part of that family. And whenever I talk to people, they're still like, do you still work for them or are they paying you? And I'm like, no, I just... I learned that you can do anything Mm -hmm. and you know if you have if you want to hang pieces of wood from the ceiling with wine bottles off them and cover (laughs) them in gold foil you can do it Mm -hmm. and then in the same breath just try like I got the opportunity to run 43 stores and yeah and so if you I had two people in every store that reported directly to Mm -hmm. me and I had to roll out windows for brands and I did all the styling. So it was my vision. So everything yeah. you were wearing over the six and a half years, I'd put yes. together. Do you know what Everything I mean? Everything that I was saying, like, I want to be that in the window. <laughs> yeah. So I think GP really, they, they, what I loved about General Pants was they looked like the cool kids, but they worked so hard. Yeah. And there was so much hard work that went through be, to be the cool kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, they just yeah just amazing worked really hard I mean they're the one business that I can say I worked for 36 hours straight and didn't shower or sleep oh you know God. but yes I heard you say that on um, Alison's yeah, podcast and yeah I was like, yeah no lie that's no lie but we did it because we loved it you yes. know what I mean and we were so invested in it, it felt like ours and I think that was the first business I worked for where I felt like it was me you yes. know what I mean so yeah I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine you must have had quite a bit of freedom there because to your point before, you know, not wanting to draw inside the lines, was that always, you know, doing your own thing, was that always a big part of taking the job? Um, Yes and no, because we had manuals for everything at General Pants. I mean, I used to write the manuals for BM with my better half who was the male version of me right. which when I rocked up for my first day at work we realised that we were both born on the same day both were tall blonde hair and blue eyes he was like the male oh version so it was golden but <laughs> that's what I mean by saying that they were cool kids but they they worked really hard we had rules mm-hmm. so everything had to have a meaning so if I was going to put a piece of wood from the ceiling I had to explain why I was putting that piece of wood to the ceiling what would it do for the customer how would the customer mm-hmm. feel how would it add to the store experience so yeah. you were really accountable um, and you had to make reason of why you were doing things. So if I was to put a vest over the top of a dress on a mannequin and then roll that out to all stores, it actually had to have fact why, you know, how many units are behind the vest? Did all stores get the vest? Is the vest shot in the catalogue? So it really kind of made me accountable and it also made me have a reason for doing things. Right. Now, at what point during that time did you decide to start blogging? Well... You know what? At GP, we looked for inspiration everywhere. Mm -hmm. And right back, I was probably like two years into General Pants when blogging was kind of happening overseas. And these bloggers, inverted commas, were girls that we were looking for inspiration. So these Mm -hmm. were the girls, instead of, you know, going through the glossy magazines and pulling out photos of celebrities, because I think back when I was at One Teaspoon, it was the Misha Bartons and the Jessica Simpsons that were kind of setting the tone for us. 
I mean, Misha Barton wore a one piece in the OC that was one teaspoon of blue and went up. And then Jessica Simpson wore the one teaspoon shoes in um, the Dukes of Hazard. So they were our icons. Anything Misha Barton wore, so I was I like, was I there. must have. That. I was there. Yet I did not look anything like Misha Barton. So it was, I mean, it was quite <laughs> funny when you see it on me. But so at GP, we started looking for these style icons in these bloggers. Mm-hmm. And it was like, part of my job was pulling inspiration for everywhere and we used to have these amazing cork boards that were floor to ceiling in the in the just everywhere in the office Mm -hmm. and we would put on the pin boards the trends of the season um you know in women's wear we would always have five trends so there were five girls that we would speak to every season and we would have these mood boards of these pictures and I guess what happened was we filled up every wall and every corkboard and we were like, these photos need to go somewhere. So then they were on our computers in folders. And then by chance, we kind of, all the girls in the office would always be drawn to these boards. And Mm -hmm. you remember like 330-itis when you go for like a chocolate? Yeah. Well, in the (laughs) office, I used to send out this 330 email that Mm -hmm. was like, I don't even know how big it was, but it used to have... <clears throat> excuse me like hundreds of images that just used to make you feel wow. alive at like 3 30 in the afternoon i used to call it an afternoon delight and then all of can a sudden, you make this a newsletter now i, know, I now, would love that you know there's ones that just make you feel alive yeah. and it's like i mean it had no sense in it it was like handbags shoes street style but it's stuff that kind it of just picks brings you up, you up. Yeah. yeah and um it started with like five girls on the email and then it went to like 10 girls then it went to like 20 then it went to like 30 guys and girls and then everybody was like gagging for this afternoon delight Mm -hmm. email i know and then one day we sent out an email and it crashed the server at general pants and the server was connected to those 43 stores oh, across Australia. No. I remember running down and standing in the IT offices between them, all the modems. And I was like, we need to get it back <laughs> online. And they got it back up. But what I learned was, is that I needed somewhere to put all of these images. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it can't, it needs to be a source of inspiration where people can just kind of click on mm-hmm. and not be, you know, like it yeah, should be available to anybody anytime. So then that's how the blog started with mm-hmm. all of these images needed to go somewhere. And this was before Instagram. So it was, yes. it was, it was blogging was, was it. And even then, I don't even think we called it a blog. It was just a place to house these photos. Mm-hmm. They All Hate Us really was one of the first, particularly in this country, one of the first fashion blogs. So at yeah. what point did you start to think, okay, we're onto a good thing here. When did it really start to take off? Um, I think we were really lucky at the time when we launched. And when I say we launched, we literally, literally didn't even launch. We just kind of turned just it on, it. <laughs> told my sister. And I was like, hey, if you want to look at a picture, you can look at it <laughs> there. So there was probably about 12 months of just blogging every single day, putting images up. And mm-hmm. then Cosmo nominated us as in they all hate us for the fun fearless female award in the blogging category mm-hmm. and it was the first time they'd had that category in the awards and we were like who how do they even know about it you know what i mean and then they said to us that it was somewhere they were going for inspiration every day because it was consistent it was mm-hmm. fresh it was new and also it wasn't photos of me wearing clothes it was yeah. it was a real like 
source of inspiration. If you yeah. like black blazers, there's a black blazer on there. If there's a floral yes, dress, I do. I'm saying that because we are in a black blazer and I'm in a yep. floral dress. But yeah, so Cosmo nominated us and then because they put us in the magazine and like they were talking about it after that first year it, it blew up and mm-hmm. it was like kind of like people were like oh you're from they all hate it. like it was it, I mean I'm talking about it now as a really happy time but blogging back then was a dirty word so there was yes. like 50% of people that loved it and 50% of people that hated it I remember sitting at the Cosmo dinner and the woman sitting next to me I, she introduced herself and she was a beauty editor and mm-hmm. I introduced myself and, and she went into this ginormous conversation with me about how blogging was a fad, Facebook's not going to last, mm-hmm. what's your real job? And it's really Oh, don't you love that? What's I love your it. real job? I love it now <laughs> because now I know where she is and what I'm doing yes. and I'm like, interesting, should have got on that train. Um, yeah, so that's when it kind of picked up and the mm-hmm. good thing about it was is that every now and again we'd put a photo of myself up but it was after that year – after that first year, um, yeah, it, it then just started to rocket. And that's when, you know, brands started to kind of look at it as like advertising mm, and things like that. They figured it out. At what point do you think blogging stopped being a dirty word? Because I'm thinking back to sort of 2013, 14, mm-hmm. and I remember The Age did a piece during Melbourne Fashion Week about yeah. like there was – you know, outrage that bloggers were sitting in the front row and the oh, journalists yeah. had been pushed back. Yeah, I um, I mean, we were, we also the thing about they all hate us was we really respected the industry because yes. the industry. I mean, we never were, we never went about it to try to um be anything other than a place of inspiration. Right. So we weren't standing up there and saying, giving necessarily even giving our opinion mm-hmm. on what was walking down the runway or what people were publishing we were just sourcing these images but i guess once you got the tick of approval from they all hate us it was something you know what i mean the australian women's weekly actually wrote a really um not a very nice piece about blogging and it was really sad Mm -hmm. because they actually did a full day's shoot with us and and a couple of other bloggers and oh that's sneaky yeah and lured us in thinking it was one thing and then when we got the article it was quite the opposite and it was Mm. really um that was really sad because again i mean i thought we were all in it together yeah but i think back to your question i think now certain people still think it's a dirty word Mm -hmm. and i do think the word blogger is almost shift to influencer yes and that's now a somewhat dirty word Mm. so i I, you know what i mean we're getting there (laughs) no 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 i think it's you know what i think some people will never change yeah that's it's when they're scared. People are scared of the unknown. Absolutely. Yeah. At this point, I'm like, you just you can't be everything to everyone. No. And when you realise that, it really lightens oh. the load. <laughs> Life-changing. <laughs> so at its peak, the blog was bringing in something to the tune of 7.4 million readers per year. I have yeah. to read that off my computer because it yeah. still doesn't make sense to me. And then, you know, being noticed by Cosmo, what was it about your content that was resonating with so many people? I think that it was really real. Mm-hmm. Um, it was authentic. We had a voice. Um, we also were very consistent with yes. our posting. I think we never... I was talking to somebody about this the other day. We actually never took advertising on in the sense of banner ads. So right. we were one of the few blogs at the time that didn't have any advertising going mm-hmm. on the blog. And that was something that we really stood by because yes. if we worked with brands or if like kind of 
you know, stood beside a brand, it was always a brand that we loved mm-hmm. and it was genuine. So I think the readers really early on invested in our brand yeah. and believed what that brand stood by. So mm-hmm. I think that was a big part. Yeah. So at this point, you've got the blog, you're yes. still at General Pants. Yes. And it's really old fashioned, but you are sort of becoming known for this, you know, the long blonde hair <laughs> and the bronze limbs. Was it beauty in your mind at this point? Did you think you'd sort of head down that path? I think the thing was, is beauty was always a really big, ask anybody that knows me, mm-hmm. like, I don't leave the house without a tonged blonde lock. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm always tanned. And to me, it's never, it was never a hindrance. It was just part of me. You right. know what I mean? So through the whole journey, I, I would, they all hate us. I was always very inverted commas done, but undone. So it was yeah. part of me. And I, I wanted to add, I'm addicted to reading beauty articles. So I used to yeah. tear them out and read them. And I guess during that they all hate us journey, I would always share my knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think anyone listening to this will have Googled L Ferguson hair tutorial at one point or another. Go away from the face, away <laughs> from the face. But yeah, so it was sprinkled through the beauty. And I found that, like you said, girls were really interested. And I think the thing was, is I was always very real with how I was achieving my beauty looks. Right. So that was really fun. Um, yeah, beauty was in there, but it kind of went side and side with fashion, you mm-hmm. know, but fashion was probably leading the way in the sense that that's who I was getting a lot of jobs with. Right. So, I mean, the blog took off. Six yes. years at General Pants, but then you took a role as the global head of VM for Sea Folly. Yes, because I like a challenge. Yeah, okay, so you've <laughs> answered my question. Like, how are you balancing all of that? Um. Well, look. So general pants, so GP, I would be like, say, seven till seven. Mm -hmm. My lunch breaks, I was doing They All Hate Us. And then after work was They All Hate Us. But then again, it wasn't a chore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if you love it. Like, when you love it, I was like, I'd be like sourcing images at like 1 a.m. in the morning. But like, they they were amazing. Mm. So I left GP after six and a half years and went across to Sea Folly because the opportunity... I always say that when you say something and you really mean it, it comes true. And mm-hmm. I wrote down and said out loud what kind of job I wanted. Right. And with this, what kind of salary mm-hmm. and with travel and all of the added bonuses. And then Sea Folly came over and I was like, wow. You manifested it. I did. Love it. I have ability to do that. It's amazing. Um, so I went to Sea Folly and I loved that A, it was a global company mm-hmm. because I really was interested in what was happening overseas. And I also liked the challenge of being the head of the department. And I felt like it was right for me professionally to do that. And Seafolly was just such a, um, just the people they worked with and the models they were casting and the creative was super exciting. And it also gave me the ability to train the staff on styling because it wasn't something they were doing. And there was such a big shift in the swimwear category and even the activewear category that it gave me the ability to kind of sprinkle a little bit of the L effect mm. in the business. Um, but I I did a year and a half there and probably six months in, I realized that Instagram started when I started at Safe. Yes, I was going to ask at what point did that come yeah. into the fold? Yeah, and I was a Blackberry girl, which makes ah, this even funnier because oh I was like a Blackberry Pearl. It was like my <laughs> best friend. 
You can see how much of a nerd I am now saying that because I like to be able to look <laughs> at an Excel spreadsheet and read my email. Oh, there is nothing better than looking at an Excel spreadsheet. But so Instagram started probably, yeah, like six or seven months into um, into Seafolly. Mm-hmm. And I had to get rid of my Blackberry and get an iPhone because I, I, this is how random it is. And it's so funny because my first name on Instagram was called Black Nightingale because I wanted the Nightingale bag oh, by Shibonchi. And I didn't understand how Instagram worked i thought you could have a funny name so my sister really like changed that within like 10 minutes but instagram started and i think what had happened with they all hate us was people wanted to know who was behind the blog there was this this um want from our readers and our followers kind of going like who who's behind it Mm -hmm. so instagram kind of gave that that you know being able to see who's behind it and what's going on and then from there people were just like it was really funny because I used to take all of my photos in the foyer of Sea Folly or against a roller door out on the street and people started to hone in on things you know like the denim shorts the curls the tan the shoes and then from there we kind of realized that there was something about being a retailer and people wanting there was something about people wanting what i was wearing Mm. like the denim shorts and we were like why are we sending these people somewhere else they can shop with us yeah so literally standing in a street behind sea folly at mascot we shot our first they all hate us store there you go yeah and it was 10 pieces of what we loved and when i say 10 pieces it was like a white basic t-shirt oh yes very yeah yeah, it's funny you mentioned the denim shorts because that did become, I mean, I, I guess iconic is the word. I remember, yeah. God, one of Roxy's early books. Yes, yeah. And yep. then, but y- your face isn't in it. It's just in the waist <laughs> down, but you're immediately like, oh, that's L on the cover of the book. Yay. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. At what point, I mean, Instagram's obviously coming yeah. to the piece at this point. When did you leave your full-time role to focus on the blog? So the day we launched the online store, they all hate us. Mm-hmm. It went bonkers and we sold out like in the first 10 minutes. Vogue did Amazing. an article, Harper's did an article. It was just, it kind of, nobody had done this edit of just 10 pieces and we shot it on ourselves. It was really, again, it was really real. You yeah. know what I mean? So I think what what um, resonated with the audience was that it was real. There were no bells and whistles. Like I said, we were sh- it, lit- it was shot in a, like, pretty much a car park yeah. in Mascot. Um first shot went live I remember speaking to the CEO that day and he said Mm -hmm. to me like this is going to be big and I was like no it's fine I can still do my job it's you know and he was like no 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 like you know promise me now you're not leaving and I was like I'm not leaving I love my job I'm just going to do this as my side hustle it's fine famous last words totally and then yeah literally like six months later I had to walk in and say I'm really sorry Sorry. (laughs) I can't do this anymore (laughs) yeah and took the um took the leap but with saying that I um I spoke on the weekend at a women's panel and when I yes Eleanor gritty pretty women were amazing so amazing but I think I surprised the audience because when I left I I was really financially stable and I made Mm -hmm. sure I had enough money I made sure the blog was was making enough money for me to leave um 
because I learned very early on and you said Roxy, Roxy actually said to me right back at the beginning, free dresses aren't going to pay your rent. Yes. And it, I know it sounds such an easy statement, but you kind of, you know, with all the bells and whistles of the inverted commas influencing world, mm. when people are giving you things, you think they're amazing, but they don't pay your rent. No, they do not. No. So when I left Sea Folly, I really made sure financially I was earning enough money through the blog or through sponsored posts that I could leave. Thank you for saying that because I really feel like there's so – we're living in a wonderful time where it is exciting yeah. to start your own business. Yeah. But people will just say, you no. know what, if you love something, just do it. Yeah, sure, do it. But after you've got, you know, a yeah. year's But I'm going to say, income. like, even now, like, I know we're going to talk about um, – L effect, of course. But, thank you. But <laughs> even now, I I'm really strategic with the way I earn my money. Like yeah. I earn it, and then I funnel it back into projects. Yeah. And I've been. My mom taught me that really early on. And it's funny. I actually live a debt free life. I don't have a credit card. Yeah. I pay my bills. I um. Very it, rare. Yeah, but I think it's really important because I know if something was to happen, I'm safe. You yeah. know what I mean? And I don't have that feeling in my gut mm-hmm. with the finances. Thank God. Um, naturally, the like the nature of digital has changed a lot since yes. you, you know you first started the blog. You yes. got rid of the BlackBerry. But what would your advice be to anyone who is thinking now, like, oh, maybe I'll start a blog. Maybe I'll try and grow yeah. my following. Look, I always say go for it because I think it's amazing that we are part of this period in time where you can start anything yeah. from your kitchen bench at home. But I think the big thing is, is like, and I heard Mariana and Lauren say this: you need a niche. Yes. I was really lucky that, you know, I think all of the girls that you kind of have been speaking to, we were part of that first movement. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you could take a photo against a garage door mm-hmm. and that was fine. I think right now is you need a niche, but you also need a niche that you love because yeah. the follower can see straight through. People you. are so savvy now. Yeah. And I mean, I also do think like try because like if you fail you can get up tomorrow morning and start a whole new account Mm. or business or web page you know like i i think there's a fear of failure but there's also you need to be strategic yeah yeah so speaking of strategic at what point did you start (laughs) thinking about the l effect so i was actually last night i went back through my photos because i track everything through photos and timelines that's how i timeline through photos so look, I think it had always been there. Even mm-hmm. when I look back at my one teaspoon days or general pants, there was something, um, at general pants, I used to call it the wow factor. Yeah. So everything I did had to have a moment of wow factor. Mm-hmm. And I think throughout my whole career, I was sprinkling like a little bit of me through everything I did. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit not normal. And it, it had my little flair on it. Yeah. So. I think the L effect was always chugging along in the background, but I didn't have the confidence Mm -hmm. to take that leap of faith. And then in 2017, in the January of that year, I kind of said to myself, I'm just going to say yes. Mm -hmm. So I used to always not say no, but I would always go through, you know, 7,000 reasons. Why not? You know, what happens if the plane doesn't get there on time? And then I missed the connecting flight. It was like, just say yes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I just started saying yes. And one of those first yeses that I said was in January of 2017 when Jen Atkin came to Australia. And she messaged me on Instagram and said, like, I'm such a fangirl. I want to meet you. And I'm like, this isn't happening. This oh is like my some random Yeah. And she then wrote again and was like, oh, you know, like, I love your style. 
come to my hotel and let's hang out and i'm like hmm you know like oh my god but then i was like i'm saying yes yeah so i rang my my manager and i said I think the real Jen Atkin has messaged me and wants to meet in her her hotel room. Ninety percent sure I'm not being catfished. No, like I legit then call my sister instead of like the Ru- Russian mafia having me go to the Park Hyatt to meet them. Please, he switches no. on find my iPhone. Hundred percent. Like oh, I'm not. We're laughing about it, but I genuinely did this because oh, I was like, cried. do you know what? I just didn't. Like yeah. I didn't know. And then also it was the beginning of the way for Jen. So yes. I think. The way is two years old, so it would have been right mm-hmm. back at the beginning. And and Jen, I was obsessed with Jen because of the Kardashians yes. and just the beauty world. But many people didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. She tells me the story that she arrived in Sydney and went to meet some salon, went into some salons for some meet and greets. Nobody knew who she was. I'm like, how do people not know who you yeah, are? That's baffling to yeah. me. Yeah. But anywho, so I actually dragged my manager along with me right. to, to meet her at the hotel. And she opened the door up and she was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. And I was like, are you kidding me? I can't oh, believe nice. I'm meeting you. Yeah. And she was like, I didn't know what to wear to meet you. I'm like, I didn't know what. So oh, it was love very this. bizarre because it was very real. Mm-hmm. And I met with her and, you know, she cut my hair. We had a laugh. But I kind of was like, I was like, how did you find me? And she was like, Courtney kardashian was addicted to they all hate us and from they all hate us we found you and i was like this is spinning me out because we it felt so far away that world yeah do you know what i mean and i just was kind of like i'm just this little aussie girl wearing her denim shorts and (laughs) and curling her hair and it made me kind of think to myself wow you know i always knew i had an audience in america but like something's resonating with these people yeah and then in um in February, I went and shot the Way campaign with her yes. in LA. Incredible. And it really was like a wow moment because she said to me out of all, she was like, you're my blonde. And I was like, what? She was like, you're my blonde. And I was like, out of the whole world, I'm your blonde. Amazing. I will be there. <laughs> and so I was there and I got to shoot with Steph Shep and Kristen um, Noel Crawley, who does KMC yes. Beauty. And Jen was there and we were all kind of sitting around and these women were telling these stories of how they launched their brands Mm. and how they made these amazing companies. And I just, you know, I just sat there and I kind of listened and I was like, you know what? Like, you're incredible. Like, this is amazing. Mm. And also the fact that all of these women, you know, I didn't get paid for that job. Those girls didn't get paid, but we were Mm -hmm. all sitting there and we were kind of like there supporting Jen on this first way shoot and we believed in it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Kristen sent me some lip masks and I wore like I just loved the fact that we were we were all kind of sitting there and we were all willing to help and yes supporting nice women yeah and then I came back to Australia and I had been doing some sponsored posts with other tan brands Mm -hmm. and other brand other beauty brands and I by chance found out how much product they had Mm -hmm. sold off one of the posts and I knew the talent fee I got and what they had made. Mm, there'd yeah. be a bit of a discrepancy there. Yeah. And I kind of just got to thinking. And my little retail head pat was back mm-hmm. on. And I was like, interesting. And I kind of sat on it and um sat on it and just kind of just thought about it. Mm-hmm. And at this time I also 
sat back and looked at the landscape of influencing and blogging and I realized that in myself I had made a brand without actually knowing it's like you saying with the denim shorts the bronze Mm. the blonde there was key factors that made up it was a signature yeah and I also realized again having that kind of L Ferguson tick of approval Mm -hmm. that in itself was a brand so I was and I also found myself talking about myself in the third person in business meetings. (laughs) So I was like, well, this is interesting. So then I started to think to myself, okay, there's something here, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm going to kind of stir the pot and see what I can do. And at that point, Kim launched KKW Beauty. And I was lucky enough to be invited to that. And I got to LA and I'm not going to tell that story again, but what I (laughs) realized But what I realized was that I was in LA, the magic happens there, and I was like, you know what, I need to do something. Mm -hmm. So I spoke to a couple of people, like, I just was like, I'm thinking of doing something, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And they were like, yes, go for it. And I was like, I don't necessarily know what it is, but I want to to do something. Mm -hmm. And everybody thought it was going to be fashion. Well, this was going to be my next question. Why a beauty product over something in fashion? Because I was naive. Ah, yeah. Because naivety can be a very interesting tool in starting a business. Because you know what? I think I I knew too much about fashion. Yeah. I knew so much about fashion and how it worked and what it did and how to do it and where to do it. And I knew absolutely nothing about beauty <laughs> or where to do it or how to do it or what it could do. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to do that. This will be fine. <laughs> totally. But I, I really do think I was really naive about it. And also in the same breath, I liked the fact that beauty applies to everybody. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah, it can be very universal. I say that. And then I've reflected on my first product being a tan, which is a niche market. It doesn't apply to everybody. Yeah. But... Do you know what I mean? Like there was something quite beautiful about beauty when I sat there and I thought about it because it does apply to everybody. The one thing with the fashion was, especially when we were, you know, buying sizes or scaling or things like that, you had to stop at some point, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So you couldn't cater to everybody. Yeah. Where with the L effect, I worked out, I could cater to everybody and also men. Like I actually, I can, I I can actually include everybody. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's why beauty, because yes. I'm naive. <laughs> now you've, so you launched with the one product, technically yes. two, the mousse yes. and the mitt. Yes. Which is the best, I've, we spoke about this on yes. Instagram, that mitt. Yes. I have never been excited over <laughs> what is a piece of fabric before. But no, but oh. it makes the difference, doesn't yeah. it? It's really funny, the mitt, that mitt that you got is the tan um, luxe applicator mitt. Yeah. It's not the first mitt I started with. Uh-huh. So I actually did um, six months with a different mitt because I thought that was the best mitt. Right. But I learned very early on that it had faults. So then I spent mm-hmm. the next, um, you know, eight, nine months making the one that you've got now. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Thank you. I have talked about this on the podcast before and I, th- I think with Mariana and Lauren, launching yeah. with one product is a bold move because if that product fails there is every chance that the business yes. won't yes. Know, survive its first 12 months so yes. what were the advantages and disadvantages of launching with the one product um i think for me um throughout my whole life i always like the best so yeah it has to be the best it's not about even when i was you know at gp at one teaspoon and see like like if i did something i did 110 mm-hmm. i gave you everything i had and you got the best version 
So doing the one product, I started off wanting to do three mm-hmm. because I wanted to launch with a story right. um, and everything worked together and kind of thing. But I learned working with the chemist directly and working on formulations mm. and getting things 100% right, it needs your sole focus. Yeah. And I don't have a big team. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's me. When it comes to testing, it comes to formulations and opinion, and it's me and editing as we've just yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's me and the chemist. Mm. So I worked out that I needed to funnel everything into that one product mm-hmm. and make that one product the best version I could possibly get, and I just couldn't do it and spread it across three. Right. And I also kind of liked the fact that the message wasn't going to get diluted. Yes. So, and I also stand behind that elephant tanning is 110%. As and you should, because yeah, it's heaven. But, it, but I also do think like you as a customer and you as a follower and a reader, mm. coming out with one product, yes, you can fail, but you can also really succeed. Yes. Because I'm only talking about one thing and there's so much noise out there in the world. Absolutely. That just talking about one thing and also down to the fact it's a tan that has one color Mm. so i even took out you having to think about what color you need yeah do you know what i mean so it's one color it's one product it just i thought it made me connect with the follower a lot easier to as a consumer when i look at it it makes sense as well because your personal brand is very much about having a signature look so then one product feels kind of akin to that having a signature product yeah that's the way i look at it i love that I'll be so, using that in my next interview. Oh, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about that formulation process. because And we talked about this on Instagram because admittedly I had seen people wearing I loved your honesty on your... Well, they're saying to me, oh, it smells like roses. And I'm going, yeah, but I roses with fake tan. And then I used it and yeah. I was like, me scusi, this is just roses. When I read it, I was like going down the sentences and I was like, this is really good. And then I was like... <gasps> And then I was like, is it going to get yep. really bad? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, it's went the other way. It's good. Yay. Um, so first up, I would like to say that I really, really, really wanted to be Australian-made and Australian-owned. Mm-hmm. It was really important to me because, especially with all the time I spend overseas and waving the Australian banner so high. Yeah, of course. I, it, it was something I, I, I like tried for like six to seven months, like calling chemists, mm-hmm. emailing chemists here locally in Queensland and Melbourne and nobody would even reply to my emails. God, so this is six to seven months before the process had oh, even started. Yeah. Oh my and I was like, please. And then I was like, I have money. Like I'm, yeah. I'm willing, even if this doesn't work, take my money. Mm. I just want to have a go. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, somebody finally came back to me after hounding them and they said it was going to be 18 months before I could even get into a chemist to talk about doing a product. Oh my. And I was like, oh no, I, I don't have time. I felt like it needed to happen. Like yep. I, need, I knew things were changing in the landscape of the influencer. Instead of collaborating with brands, you were becoming the brand. Very I could much feel so. it coming. And I just, I knew that I wanted to launch with a beauty product mm-hmm. because I kind of wrote down the things that resonated with Elle Ferguson and the tan thing was so up mm. there and I'm so into sun safety that I was like, this is where it has to go. Absolutely. So then I love that I'm talking like it was a race because it was. <laughs> um, then I had, every time I went to LA, I would always get a tan out of LA because mm-hmm. I was I, I was such a tan, 
like a holic that wherever I go, I always get a tan because there's different formulations in every different country. Yes. But the tan I would always get in America was always better than what I could get here. Interesting. And I would always kind of ask the girl to tan me. I'd be like, what's in this? And just like random mm-hmm. questions. And then I got some names of chemists throughout California mm-hmm. and I rang and I emailed and they, um, one of them got back to me. And I said, can I come and meet you? Because I have this idea to make a tan. And I think because, and I'm going to say this, you know, like LA is the city of dreams. They mm. were like, sure, come on in. Let's, Amazing. you know, like no judgment. We don't care who you are. We don't care if you're Betty from Bankstown. Come in <laughs> and we can talk about making a tan. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it started. It started in a um, chemist in Cal- just outside of the city of California, talking about how to make the perfect tan mm-hmm. and um the formulization was really interesting but i think because i was so hands-on and again um i shared this before but right at the beginning of the process i went to a few tan brands and actually asked if i could buy their formulization mm-hmm. and just put my name on the bottle so like a white label product right. because i wanted to get something out quickly so mm-hmm. i thought the answer was just to put my name on the bottle but luckily enough all the brands I went to wanted to have their name on there as well and blessing in disguise I know it's really oh. funny how it works mm. isn't it so then I had to sit there and and test and try and add and that and so yeah the formalization is an emulsion of things I found wrong with other tans that I made yeah right. what was the criteria look it had to be it's it it had to work, number yes, one. You, you know what I mean. Um, and then it also just had to it had to feel good on the skin. Mm-hmm. Had to, it needed not to dry your skin out. Velvety was the yeah. word I used. I'm sure there's a more sophisticated. No, way no, of no. Velvety's on the back of the bottle, so yeah, velvety is there. But it also because a foam. Um, you know, we went with a foam over a spray because of we ship globally mm-hmm. and a lot of um, countries don't let aerosols in. That so, would not have even crossed my mind. Yeah, you learn a lot in there this you world. Go. <laughs> so the foam, yeah, the foam was easier just in the beginning to like shipping wise. So I learned yeah. a lot about things that countries don't let in. Then there's bans on products in some countries. So back to the um, the formulization, it ha- the sticky thing was a big thing. Right. The marks on your sheets. Yeah. There's. Yes. <laughs> it was. It was really listing out. Um, all of the things that were wrong I wanted to make right but one of the big common factors was the smell yes yeah I'm not gonna be able to do it justice over here everyone needs to go on I know you need to smell it because people actually don't believe it in one of my first test groups I actually poured all different tans into like cups Mm -hmm. and and made people smell them without the brands and you don't realize how toxic a tan smells yes. until you smell it without any of the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. And when you smell it, you're like, if this smells bad, it must be bad What's for my it body. Doing to me? Yeah. yeah. And I think we're all becoming much more conscious shoppers, you know? Very much so when so. I did that and then they smelled my one, they were like, oh my goodness, what is this? But what I was trying to say to you when we were chatting on Instagram, I think a lot of brands go about masking the smell of tans. Yes. So they're adding like coconuts or like fruity, you know, like yeah. things to mask it. But you're essentially trying to cover up a smell. You're not mm-hmm. trying to eliminate the smell altogether or pulling out the products that are making that smell yeah. bad. So when I was in the process, I was trying to work out what we could add. Um, 
all removed to make this tan smell nice mm-hmm. and yeah i love rose is my favorite flower and mm-hmm. it just is you know i love a, i love a rose so <laughs> i was like yeah let's try rose and i was lucky enough that the chemist that i was working with was really into natural um just like natural ingredients and and making sure we found the best of the best and they actually said to me we could add you know essential rose oil to this Mm -hmm. and I was like oh no you can't like (laughs) the oil base with the tan mix it's not gonna work Mm -hmm. and they were like yeah it will and then we went back and forwards trying to work out to get the right smell because rose can smell like soap do you know what I mean like yes there's so many different iterations of what a rose rose, can smell like yeah yeah yeah, so yes and and it's quite funny because that's what makes me different to everybody else absolutely and it's really interesting when you start to look at all of those tans it's Mm. like it really stands out when you don't have to smell toxic you know, yes. and the boyfriends don't have to smell like. I was about to stuff. say I might have to just do an episode with my boyfriend. With yeah, well, mine saying, can join in. Yeah, thank you for not staining the sheets, and thank you. And she doesn't do. smell like a biscuit anymore. I know it's funny, isn't it? And even on day like the day after you rinse, it still comes out of your pores. Yeah. So there's often quite a tanny smell with other brands that you smell on that day too. Mm-hmm. But you've just got roses with the elephant. Do you have? I mean, you mentioned that you you wanted to launch with three products. Do you still have plans to launch more products? Yes, on track? yes, of course. But do you know what's funny? Um, a, you don't realize how long something takes to make. Um, yeah, you know, it's a good eighteen months development in one product. That's yeah. because I'm doing everything one at a time. I'm also in the stage now that I those chemists in Australia have finally decided to take my emails. Mm-hmm. So I'm also doing some um, development through Australia Amazing. with some of um, a couple of products at the moment, just to see the process and see the quality and see what I can make out of Australia. I also you would notice anybody that's bought a tan kit over the last couple of um, weeks, I've changed my packaging as well. Mm-hmm. So the amazing thing about me being in control is is that I can I can change things, you know yes. what I mean? And I'm not standing here and saying that everything's right. So mm-hmm. I've learned a whole lot of things about air pressure and pumps. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, you're a scientist now. No, basically. it's like, really, no, I'm so <laughs> I wish. But just I'm just trying to refine, again, so that tan, you know, is the best, best version you can have, mm-hmm. you know. So my bubble wrappers, my, bubble, my travel kits have changed into a bubble bag, mm-hmm. which made me be able to use compost bags to mail out with ah. so yeah so i could take out one lot of single-use plastic yeah. from my packaging which has been really important so everything's yeah. now sent out in a compost bag that's amazing yeah it's really and you and you know i say congratulations to everybody that's given me feedback or my followers mm-hmm. or people that have bought the tan because they're the people i'm listening to do you yeah. know what i mean and they're yeah. the people that they're the people that are investing in this and they're the people I'm making change for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I began this journey with having my instructions on the back of the bag because I saw other brands, you know, taking some of the copy off the back of the bottles so they looked a lot neater. Yeah. But what I realized was you need those instructions in your hand when you're pumping the tan. So now the instructions have gone back on the bottle. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's a whole lot. I'm really learning. There's a lot happening in this space. There's a lot of new products that are coming, but I'm also not excluding that hero product and how I can make it better. Yeah. I I think it's important to, like, trial and error is such an important thing. If you launch a product and then, you know, maybe you never 
But you know what's funny? It's not the formulization. This is what I love about this whole process. That's perfect. That's perfect. It's the the collateral. Little things (laughs) that go along with it. That's what I've found really um really exciting and crazy. Yeah. It's the actual product mm-hmm. does its job and is the best it's That's all of the, the other things that that i've worked on it comes back to what you said at the very start about not wanting to color in the lines yeah. like you want to change <laughs> things all the time i know you mentioned getting feedback now as it stands yes. you have over six hundred fifty thousand instagram followers mm-hmm. what is it like having that many people offering their feedback giving opinions <laughs> people that are that invested in everything that you're doing um, it's exciting. When, yeah. when I first started, I remember when I had hit 10,000 followers on Instagram mm-hmm. and in my head, I used to imagine me walking down the street and having 10,000 people behind me follow, like, like literally yeah. following me down the street. And I was like, whoa, but, but it's funny to think that there's that many people invested in your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I've always thought of the social media platforms as a really positive place. Yes. And I'm really invested in encouraging women and men mm-hmm. and just, you know, like just setting a really good example. Like mm-hmm. I'm really lucky that my followers and my audience are engaged and I'm engaged with them. I always reply to messages. I always yeah. give my time to, you know, like have a conversation mm-hmm. if people reach out to me. It can be um it can be a little overwhelming at times, mm-hmm. but then I don't think I'd be doing this if I didn't want to do it. You right. know, yeah, and I didn't want to. I I wouldn't. I just wouldn't be doing it. But if it wasn't a positive in my life, I wouldn't be doing it. And yeah. I like it. It's it, it's a great place. You know, it's a, an amazing place to be able to launch the new things, help people out. You know, I've been a, lo- a part of a lot of charities of late, mm-hmm. where I've used that platform for you know online auctions, for GoFundMe. Yes for just awareness like it's actually i find it to be a really amazing place and um it can be a little stressful when you you know like wear something and people don't like it but then again you aren't wearing it for me yeah i'm not wearing it for anybody else (laughs) that's the way to do it yeah it's funny you talk about people walking down the street because at being a melbourne girl when i met the footy at the mcg (laughs) that's how we that's how we look at it totally so you are an entrepreneur a business owner global fashion icon and now just a girl from the coast. <laughs> My question is, Elle Ferguson, what is next? What is next? Immediately, I'm going to pick up roses for a shoot tomorrow that's starting at 4.30 a.m. for the Elle Effect. Yay. Right. Um, what is next for me? Look, this year is super exciting. We have a bunch of new products coming out under the Elle Effect brand. Yeah, which is really amazing. We are in Mecca throughout Australia and New Zealand, which is a huge achievement for me because I've always been a Mecca girl. Mm. Right back from buying my my lip venom back in the day. Um, So that's super exciting. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm just looking at how I can grow this business. You know, my dream is that every woman or man has got an L effect product in their bathroom cabinet. Mm -hmm. And I'm really looking forward to a place where... I can grow that business enough that I can step to the side mm-hmm. and it stands for itself without Elle Ferguson. And I think that's super exciting because I look at, you know, Elle McPherson and even like KKW Beauty, yes. things like that. And Emily Weiss with Glossier, like they're, ama- they're real businesses. They're amazing, mm-hmm. real businesses that 
that function and work and I think that is so cool and I think it's really exciting that that's what I'm going for and um yeah it's a, it's a, you know what it's so exciting for us like it, we're so lucky it's like you doing this like yeah. you would never have dreamt of it and being able yeah. to share the stories and have the conversations is so amazing I mean we're currently sitting in Kristen Fisher's eyebrow studio. which I would like my house to look like this <laughs> I know but it's so incredible that you know she's given the space up for us to talk because mm. she believes in this I think where we are right now as women business owners entrepreneurs influencers bloggers well, it's so exciting I just like go for it